Well, good morning once again. Excited to have you worshiping with us here at the church. Uh, we are continuing our study in the book of Hebrews, and we're looking at the last several verses in Hebrews chapter 7. So if you have your Bibles, you're welcome to turn there. The verses will also be up on the screen here in a moment. Um, but we have been discovering about the superiority of Jesus Christ. And last week we talked about Christ being in the order of Melchizedek. And we learned that the uniqueness of who Melchizedek was was that he was both a king and a priest. But what's interesting about Melchizedek, as we discovered, is there's only about two and a half to three verses that are really devoted to him in the Old Testament, back in Genesis chapter 14. Yet, in the book of Hebrews, we continue to hear the author say, Christ is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. And you're sitting there and you're going, who is this guy? Why is he a priest in Mel uh, the order of Melchizedek? And we discovered, obviously, that Christ needed to be a priest in the order of Melchizedek because the Levitical priesthood was insufficient. We also discovered that the Levitical tribe back in the Old Testament were the individuals who were responsible for the priestly order. Along comes Christ as king and priest, like Melchizedek was, who is able to forgive us of our sins. Today, we're going to be looking and examining that a little bit more fully. And to do that, I need to tell you all something. Um, these past several weeks, I have had some issues with my right eye. Um, something was going on. There's been some vision changes. I don't know exactly what is going on there. But I've gone and I've seen a doctor, and in this, the doctor has diagnosed that I have terminal brain cancer. With that, uh, what I've discovered is that this doctor has said there's no cure. Um, he has said that you can just kind of keep doing your thing, you can keep moving forward, uh, but there's nothing we can do. So I went, and I went to another doctor, and I got a second opinion. Now, this second doctor told me that he has a cure, and all I've got to do is I've got to just take one pill, and the cure is done. Um, he's also told me that the nice part about it is, is that it's free. It doesn't cost me anything. There's nothing that I will owe, and I can take this pill, and this brain cancer will be completely eradicated. But I'm going to this other doctor, and here's why. I went to this guy who told me that he could cure this terminal illness, but I don't like him because he doesn't fit with my lifestyle. He's a Kansas City Chiefs fan. I'm a Denver Broncos fan. He's a snowboarder. I'm a skier. It just doesn't fit. It just doesn't jive. And if I keep going to this doctor and they find out that I'm going to a doctor who's a Kansas City Chiefs fan and a snowboarder, all my friends in Colorado are going to persecute me. So I'm going to keep going to this doctor who's told me that there's no cure because he fits better with my lifestyle. Now, just so that you know, I don't have terminal brain cancer. But what's the point? You're looking at me and you're sitting there and you're thinking, you're crazy. Why would you continue to go to this doctor who's told you that you have a terminal illness but has basically said, I don't have a cure. I can diagnose what you have but I don't have any cure for it. And yet, there's another doctor out there who can cure you in one shot, wholly, completely, entirely, and P.S. it's free. And you're choosing not to go to him because he doesn't fit 
with what your lifestyle is, with what you think he needs to be? Why do so many people do that with Jesus? That's the point that I'm making today. What we're going to discover in these verses is that we have a Savior who can give us a cure. And what we're reading in this scripture is that individuals were going essentially back to this other doctor because life had become hard. They were essentially saying, because life is not what we want it to be, because we're being persecuted for our faith, because life is challenging, we want to go back to what was. We're going to go back to the doctor that can tell us that we have terminal brain cancer, but do nothing for us. And we're going to go back, 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 and we're going to go back. All the way, fully knowing that there's a doctor out there who has the cure with one pill. And P.S., it's free. It's lunacy, isn't it? And so one of the things that we're going to discover this morning as we ask this question is why would people turn away from Jesus? The question we're asking is this, this Jesus thing, right? I've heard about him. I've, I've, I've heard about that he forgives our or sin, that we can have wholeness in him, that it's this fact that he's gone to the cross on my behalf, but it, it's just not meeting my expectations. It's just not meeting what I think it should be. People are upset with me. People don't like me. Things are hard. It's not, it's not what I want. And so I think I'm just going to go back to what I had before. I think I'm just going to go back to my own life. I'm going to go back to the way things were. Should I go back to what was? And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to encourage you, and I want us to look at these passages and recognize truly what we have in Jesus Christ. And to do that, again, I want to start off, I've talked about this before, you'll recognize that the next kind of quote that's going to come up on the board is the same from what was last week. And we're going to hear about Melchizedek again. But what we have to understand is when we learn of Melchizedek's importance and his relevance in the prophetic prediction about our Messiah in Psalm 110, verse 4. This is where David, speaking of Christ, says, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, why is that important? I'm going to go back a little bit. So for those of you that were with us last week, I uh, just ask that you would give me a couple of minutes to kind of give a little bit of background so we understand what's going on here. Long time ago, back when, essentially, the Old Testament was being formed and the law was being given, the tribes were broken up into 12 tribes, and the priesthood was under the Levitical tribe, under Levi. Meaning that all of the priestly duties, all of the sacrifices, all of the stuff that went on in the temple and the tabernacle was done by individuals who were in the tribe of Levi. Now, if you weren't within the tribe of Levi, you couldn't be a priest. But if you were within the tribe of Levi, you could not be a king. So you were either a priest, but no king, or you could be a king, but not a priest. And then there were people like us, and we were just kind of the outsiders. And we heard of this God, we heard of the things that were going on, but we were on the outer edge, we were on the outer fringes. And so, time and time again, we would see individuals come forward, we would see these individuals who were priests, and they were under Levi, giving sacrifices. And they would go into the temple, or they would go into the tabernacle, and then they would go into this inner court, and there was this big veil that separated them. 
Nobody could go in there other than the main priest. And he would go in there and he would spend his time, he would give an animal sacrifice, and hopefully if all went well, he would come back out and he would say, okay, our sins are forgiven. Now remember what we've talked about before. He also would have a rope tied to him and bells on his wrists and in his feet because if for some reason he did something wrong or he was impure in front of the holiness of God, he would do an Indiana Jones. How many of you guys remember Indiana Jones? Everybody watch that? Okay, right? He opens the ark, okay, and boom, he starts to melt, right? So he had this rope to where if he started melting, hopefully, if you know, we said old Joe was paying attention, he could pull him out before he got singed too much. If the bells weren't ringing too much, he could say something's wrong and he could pull him out. But interestingly enough, what would happen was this just kept going. This just kept happening. Week after week, year after year, decade after decade, century after century. People were kind of sitting there going, why, why do we got to keep doing this? Why, why, why do we have to keep doing this? Something's not right here. I mean, like every single time we've got to do it. And, you know, I, I've looked and, you know, that guy was a priest for his life and then he died and then this other guy was a priest for his life and he died. And then this other guy was a priest for his life and he, he I liked him. He was, he was actually, I could, I could kind of jive with him. He was a Denver Broncos fan. But then he died. <laughs> guy replaced him? Kansas City Chiefs fan. Can't relate, right? Over and over and over and over again. At some point, somebody's probably sitting there going, isn't this an effort in futility? Isn't this pointless? We need something better. We need something whole, something pure, something final. And so what we discover is Christ comes along and he lives and he dies on a cross as our sacrifice to forgive us of our sins. He rises from the grave, triumphing over sin and death, and is now ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And Jesus has been stated that he's a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now Melchizedek, we know not a lot about him. All we know was that he was the king and he basically helped Abram, Abraham, rescue Lot in the battle of the kings. That's all we know. But the uniqueness of him was that he was both priest and king. And what you have to recognize is, is what makes Jesus unique is that he's both priest and king. He can save as priest, but he has the authority to do so because he's king. And that's what we're driving toward this week. That's what we're going to learn as we look into these passages. So what I want to do is, is we're going to look at the latter part of chapter 7, verse 11. And it starts off, and we see sort of in the headline, Jesus is like Melchizedek. And this is what the author writes. He says, if perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it, the law was given to the people, why was there still need for another priest to come? One in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron. Question mark. Now, Aaron obviously was sort of head of the Levitical priesthood. And he's saying, why? If, if Aaron and the Levitical priesthood worked, 
Why would we need someone else to come? That's what's going on right there. For when there is a change of priesthood, there must also be a change of the law. He of whom these things are said belonged to a different tribe, and none of uh, and no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. Speaking of Jesus, was Jesus in the tribe of Levi? No. What tribe was he in? Say it louder. Thank you. Yeah, tribe of Judah. Well, only Levitical people, only in the tribe of Levi can you be a priest. You, you don't fit the mold. You're of the tribe of Judah. You, you can't be. It's not lineage. It's not, it isn't genetically right. You can't do this. And yet, Jesus was priest. And so we continue on. And it says, for it is clear, we're in verse uh, 14, for it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah, and in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests, just to reinforce it. Nothing about priests. You don't, you don't fit the mold. You don't make it. And what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest, not on the basis of regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. I'm going to just pause there for a minute. If you have your Bibles, circle that. And the only reason I want to do that right now is this. Anyone who denies the resurrection completely debunks the superiority of Jesus in the book of Hebrews right here. Jesus didn't rise from the grave. You have nothing to say about his power. All of Hebrews right here falls short. Hence the importance of the resurrection. I just want to talk about that for a second. For it is declared you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. He's essentially restating what David says in Psalm 110. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless for the law made nothing perfect. And a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath. But he became a priest with an oath. When God said to him, speaking of Jesus, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, again, resurrection, resurrection, resurrection. He has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely. Other translations say to the uttermost. Don't miss that. Completely. And we're going to talk about that. He is able to save completely those who have come to God through him. Because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, 
He does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who are weak, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. What a gorgeous passage about our Savior Jesus. Again, why would we ever go back to a doctor who can only diagnose our problem when we can go to one who can wholly cure it with one pill and it's free? Let's take a minute and want to talk about this. We're in this passage, and again, we've been working our way through the book of Hebrews, discovering Jesus' superiority over a variety of different things. We've discovered his superiority over, essentially, the prophets. We've discovered his uh, authority over Moses. We've discovered his authority over uh, the law. And now we're discovering that he is better than, essentially, the Levitical priesthood because he's a priest in the order of Melchizedek. And so this author is driving and he's speaking to the people and he's saying, why would you ever go back? And to be honest with you, it's interesting because we're probably sitting here going, I get it. Like, when is he going to move on? When are we going to move to the applicational part of this? Which we will, which is in the latter part of the book. But you have to understand that the author is just driving hard because he's looking around and he's saying, I know your heart. I know that you're going to look for something else. When Jesus doesn't satisfy what you think you need, you will look for another cure. And don't we do that today? I want a better life. I want this. I want more money. I want more happiness. I want a better marriage. I want this. I want those things. And so what do we do? We look everywhere other than Jesus. And friends, what I'm going to tell you is this. Jesus is the only one who can truly satisfy. But more important, Jesus is the only one who can save. I want to take a minute. We're going to look uh, basically just kind of at the summary of verses 11 through 17. And really, one of the things that we need to see, okay, is individuals are looking and they're saying, is the priesthood of Jesus legitimate? Okay? They're looking at it, and he, hey, he's not in the Levitical tribe. He doesn't meet the criteria. He doesn't meet what it means to be a priest. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get rid of him. And so essentially, these first several verses, what the author is doing is he's saying this, that the priesthood of Jesus in the order of Melchizedek is not only legitimate, okay, it's better. He's taking his time to legitimize the priesthood of Jesus to where people look around and they're like, yes, it is different, but it is a legitimate priesthood. But I'm also telling you that in its legitimacy, it is better, period. Now, if I went to that doctor and I told you that that doctor has a pill that can magically cure my cancer, but he's not been to medical school, he doesn't have any certification, he doesn't have any credentials, this pill hasn't been approved by the, you know, the FDA, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you'd kind of be like, well, you know, this doesn't sound very good. But if I told you, yes, it's been approved, 
He has his credentials. He's gone to you know, the best medical school ever. He's a doctor at Mayo. You know, the thing works. It's been clinically tried, right? He's legitimate. And he's better. That's what's going on here. That's what's happening in this. So everybody that's looking for other things, the author is saying, yes, Jesus is legitimate, but I'm going to tell you that he's better. And so we move through these verses. And there's a couple of things that I want you to see, right? We're going to go look at verse 12. For when there is a change of the priesthood, there must also be a change of the law. He of whom these things are said belonged to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. Jesus must be unique. Jesus must be different. Jesus has to be different. Why? Because the Levitical priesthood is insufficient, and it cannot do what Jesus has done. Period. For it is clear, verse 14, that our Lord descended from Judah. I love this. The author doesn't hide that fact. He doesn't hide. He doesn't say, oh gosh, you know, people just aren't. Jesus, here's the deal, okay? We know you're from Judah. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to change things. We're going to figure this out. We're going to make it work. We're going to figure out a way to make people think that you've been part of a Levitical tribe. It'll just be better for PR. No. He comes right out and says it. He's not of that tribe. He's from Judah. There's no shame in it. Why? Because the author knows the power of Jesus Christ. He says he's from Judah, A, because it's prophetic. B, there's no need to be afraid. There's no need to be fearful. And we continue on, and then he says, essentially, again, the quotation out of Psalm 110, uh, verse 4. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And so, in these first couple of verses, we discover that the priesthood of Jesus in the order of Melchizedek is not only legitimate, but it's better. And then we begin to see why it's better, how it's better, what Jesus can do that the Levitical priesthood could not. And in verses 18 through 22, what we discover is this, that the law and the Levitical priesthood only diagnose our sin problem. That's all they do. They only diagnose our sin problem. Jesus cures it. That's it. Right there. All the law and the Levitical priesthood can do is diagnose our sin problem. You have sin and you cannot be cured. There is a problem. There is a problem. There is a problem. We're going to do everything we can, but we cannot give it a cure. And so we move into this, and I want you to see this. The former regulation was set aside because it was weak and useless. Think about this for a minute. If we were sitting here and we were just going over and over and over and over and over and over and over again and nothing was happening, wouldn't at some point one of you raise your hand and say, hey, Trev, it isn't working? Oh, just let me, let me, let me do more. Come on, let me try harder. Stop. Why? It's not working. For the law made 
circle this word. Nothing. Not, it, it didn't make a couple of things perfect. It wasn't like, yeah, you know, the law, like, yeah, they got, they got about 75% of it. Jesus got 100. So we got about a 25% gain. No, the law made nothing perfect. It, it didn't do anything other than say, you have a problem, and it's your sin. P.S., by the way, your sin is a terminal disease. And a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. Not only is Jesus legitimate, but the great high physician made an oath and said, this is the one who I stake my claim on. This is the one. God himself said, Jesus is the one. He is the priest, not anybody else. No oath by God was given to any of the Levitical priests. Now they had oaths. They thought they were legitimate. They went through a system, but God never said, this is the one who I approve. The only one who God gave an oath to was Jesus. There's something unique there as well. Then it continues on, and it says, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Think about this. Time and time again, priests would come forward. They would do their thing. They would live. They would die. The next priest would come. They would do their thing. They would live. They would die. The next priest would come. They would do their thing. They would live. Then they would die. Jesus is a king and a priest forever because God has said so in an oath. And God does not change his mind. Now, we continue on. And it says, because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. Not only does a doctor say, I can cure you with one pill. Not only is it free. Not only have I the accreditation. Not only am I legitimate. Not only has God told me so. But I also will give you a guarantee. Why would you go to that other doctor? There's a few things that I want to talk about this. Brothers and sisters in Christ, and for those of you that are gathered here today, the key to a vibrant faith with Christ, the key to a vibrant faith with Christ is to understand that because of your sin, your diagnosis is terminal. You have to understand that. That has to be preached from the pulpit. That has to be part of the message of the gospel. And the only cure for that is Jesus. Why aren't there vibrant faiths? The next thing I want to say is this. When churches are too afraid to talk about our sin problem and the desperate need for a cure, they hijack the power of Christ. And I will stand on that, and I will stand on that, and I will stand on that. Too many churches out there are afraid to say you are a sinner in need of a savior and Jesus is the only cure. It'll offend them. 
Well, great. I'm not going to tell you that you're a sinner in need of a cure. We're going to just come and I'm going to tell you that you can have a better life, a better marriage, more happiness, more money, all of these wonderful things. And you're going to sit there and you're going to feel good, but deep inside, all you are doing is going over and over and over again, and all I'm giving you is a diagnosis and not a cure. What kind of a doctor is that? And I'll even say this, it's malpractice. You are a sinner in need of a cure. And we move on. And then in verses 23 and 24, what we discover why Christ is better is this, that the law and the Levitical priesthood are temporary. Christ's priesthood is permanent. Think about this for a minute. It's one thing to come forward and say, hey, here's the cure, and it can cure you, and we're, we're pretty sure that it'll work, but we're not 100% sure that maybe after 10 years you won't have reoccurrence. Okay? Sure, you go to that doctor. I'll take that bet. I'll take the 10 years. But what Jesus can do is he can say, that cure, it's permanent. Once you are cured, it's done. It is final. You won't need to come back. See how much better Jesus is? Why would you go back to what was? We read in these verses, verse 23, now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing office. Speaking of the priests of the Levitical tribe, okay, the human priests that would come in and do the sacrifices and do the offerings, they would complete their duties, they would pass away. Very similar to me. I will do what I'll do. I'll be around here as long as God wants me. Right? But someday I'm going to die. My priesthood isn't permanent. But Jesus' is. He is the one who is the head of this church. He is the one who will carry this church forward. He is the one who receives all honor and glory. I love what I do. I love being a pastor here. But it's not about me. It's not about Keith. It's about Jesus. And it continues on and it says, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Again, the doctrine of the resurrection. The law and the Levitical priesthood are temporary. Christ's priesthood is permanent. And then we move into these last verses and we just, we, we taste even more of the sweetness of Jesus. And in verses 25 through 28, we discover this, that Christ's priesthood is holy. It is innocent. It is unstained. It is separated. It is exalted. And it is final. Verse 25. Therefore he is able to save completely. Or some translations, and personally I think they do a better job than the NIV here, state to the uttermost. 
And I want to take a minute and I want to talk about that because a lot of times individuals will say, and this is true, okay, they will say, yes, you know, no matter what kind of sin you've had other than blasphemy of the Holy Spirit or unbelief, right, no matter how bad it is, Jesus saves, and that is wholly true. And they'll sit there and they'll say, yeah, see, Jesus saves from the uttermost. And no, that's not what's being stated here. The preposition there is ace, and it's two, and it's future thinking. It is forward-looking. And what does that mean? It means that when you are his, he will carry you and he will save you, period, to the uttermost. He will hold on to you and you are secure in him. It is forward. And the uttermost in this view is the eternal kingdom. Completely. Yes, your sins are forgiven completely. But what's being stated here is not only are your sins forgiven completely, he will save you completely. It's not like, yeah, you're saved, your sins are forgiven, but you know what, Jesus kind of did this, and sorry, but about half of you is going to get there. He will carry you all the way through to the end. And I don't know about you, but that brings great comfort to my soul, and this is the better part. This is what I love right here. He continues on, and he says... Those who come to God through him because he, Jesus, always lives to intercede for them. Right now, in heaven, Jesus is praying and interceding for you. That blows my mind. My king, my savior, is in heaven praying and interceding for me. Not only do I have a doctor who saves, not only does he give a cure, he knows my name. And when I come before him, it's not like I'm an afterthought or a profitable margin. He is praying for me. And he's praying for you if you are in Jesus Christ. It it just gets better and better and better. Such a high priest, verse 26, meets our need. Circle that real quick if you have your Bibles. What's our need? Our need isn't to be happy. Our need isn't a better life. Our need isn't a bigger job. Our need isn't health, although those are wonderful blessings, which I pray through Christ he gives. Our need is to be cured from our terminal illness, which is our sin. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Now watch the transition. Unlike the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once and for all when he offered himself. And so we're going we're gonna to just do a, a kind of a little example here. And, and what we're going to do is, is, how many of you have sinned today? How many of you need your sins forgiven? Okay, well, I talked to God last night, and what he said is that we can have our sins forgiven, 
And what we're going to do is each strike of the xylophone, I'm able to forgive our sin, one of our sins. Okay? And so we're going to strike the, the xylophone, and we're going to get kind of sins forgiven. That's, that's kind of how it's going to work. Kind of getting irritating, isn't it? Well, guess what? I'm, I'm, not even, I'm not even done with my sin that I had driving here today. Oh, shoot. I just sinned again. I looked over, and Jamie's a Kansas City Chief fan, and I had impure thoughts. truthful with me. How many of you are sitting there thinking, when is he going to stop? <laughs> Got to atone for that. Tom, can you come here? Thanks. <laughs> keep, keep hitting this one. Um, right there. Just keep, keep going. I'm done. I'm out. I died. Okay. I passed breakfast. Yeah, yeah. I, I watched your life this week. You, you got a, you got a long ways to go. Amen. All right. Thanks. Okay. You get the point. Why would we do that? Right? Why would we do that? Why would we sit here? I think this is this one. Well, no, there it is. And P.S., by the way, Ellen, forgive me. Okay? You play a beautiful xylophone, and like from now on, everybody's going to be like, oh! Right? Okay, I know this is annoying, but I want to drive a point home. Why? Why would we do this over and over and over again when all we have to do is go right here? And it's done. And it's final. And it's over. And you are forgiven. And it is forgotten. And you are his. And you are secure. And this will never change. And this will never need a substitute. This will never take a change of priesthood. You are forgiven. It is forgotten. And you are his. That's the point that I'm making. Why would you ever go from that? Why would you ever change? Do you want me to go back to the xylophone? 
right? Right? Yeah. Don't. Okay. That's the point. Why? Because for thousands of years, the Levitical priests were coming forward and they were offering animal sacrifices. And no, it wasn't the beat of the xylophone, okay? But the illustration is the same. Over and over and over again, they were doing something that had no ability to do anything at all. And along comes Christ, and all you got to do is go there once. And it's done, and it's over, and it's permanent. We continue on, and we see that Christ's priesthood is holy, innocent, unstained, separated, exalted, and final. And here's what's interesting. As great as people thought the Levitical priesthood was, can I remind us of something? Don't forget, okay, this is the next point that I'm making. Don't forget that it was the Levitical priesthood that chose to put Jesus to death and was primarily responsible for his death. And this is seen clearly in Matthew 27, verses 1 and 2. The priesthood that was supposed to be holy, that was supposed to be innocent, that was supposed to be pure, that was supposed to be righteous, that was supposed to be the defender, was the one that put our perfect defender to death. And I said before, when we look and we see not only that Jesus is able to save completely or to the uttermost, but he also prays for us. This is, this, this is the part that I just love the most. In Jesus, there is complete security in our place with God as right now Jesus intercedes for us in prayer. That brings so much comfort to my heart. That brings so much joy to my heart, knowing in those moments where I feel wholly insufficient that I have a king who is completely sufficient and is praying for me. And he's praying for you, for those of you that are in Christ. And so, in summary, here's what I want to do. We've looked at this, and we're going to be moving into chapter 8. We're going to be talking about the high priest of the new covenant. But I just want to take a minute, and I want to just kind of do a kind of a side-by-side, or, you know, over-under comparison, okay, between the Levitical priesthood and Jesus, right? So this is a comparison of the priestly orders, and this is what we've seen. This is what the author has been doing, and this is what he's continued to drive, right? And this is what they can offer, so the Levitical high priests, right, they were many in number. That's true, we've discovered that. They were also temporary through the analogy that Tom and I did, right? They were sinners who had to offer sacrifices for their own sins. They had to sacrifice daily. They offered animal sacrifices. And they entered the holy place through a man-made tent and by the means of the blood of goats and calves. Remember, in the temple and in the tabernacle, they entered in. One priest went behind the veil, and that's how they entered in to the high place. That's what you get with the Levitical priesthood. But with Jesus, the high priest, this is what you get. There is one. He is permanent and eternal. He is wholly innocent, 
and he only offers sacrifice for others. Doesn't have to offer sacrifice for himself. Doesn't need to. He sacrificed once and for all, one and done. And here's the unique part. He was the one who offered himself as a sacrifice. He did it for you and for me. He took that annoying xylophone, the futility of the system, and he gave himself wholly and completely, one and done. And he is the one who entered the holy place of God. And how did he do it? He entered it by the means of his own blood. When we commune, when we talk about the body and the blood of Christ that is broken, given, shed for us so that we may have eternal life, that's exactly what's going on here. We need no longer to have a priest go in behind the veil. We need no longer to stay outside. We are no longer excluded. We are wholly included in the holiness of God through our Savior Jesus Christ because we've been declared righteous by our great high priest Jesus who is also king. That's what's being said. And you may come and you may be with God because of Jesus. And you are given God through the Holy Spirit that indwells you as a guarantee of that deposit. Why would you ever go back? This morning we've looked, we've talked about the diagnosis and a need for a cure. We've talked about the fact that Sometimes people think that Jesus isn't meeting their expectations and they're thinking, should I go back to what was or should I go to something different? What I want to leave you with this morning is this. Why would you ever go back? Why would you ever go back to a system that can only diagnose your sin problem and not cure it when the cure for our problem with sin is Christ? The cure for our problem with sin is is Christ. And his cure is perfect. It is powerful. And it is permanent. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you for you. Father, we thank you for each and every individual that is with us this morning. But Father, we thank you too for the writer of Hebrews. Father, we thank you for the manner of how he has gone about demonstrating the superiority of Jesus over the inferiority of the Old Testament sacrificial system. Father, may we really come to discover, as Paul said, that the whole system wasn't there to forgive our sin. It was there to remind us how sinful we are and that we cannot be cured of it. And so, Father, in that, may we recognize, similarly to this analogy, we are desperately in the ocean and we are sinking and in need of a lifesaver and Father in that thank you so much for the fact that you throw us that Savior through our Lord Jesus Christ Father may we recognize that when we have Christ we need no other we need no more we need not add but Lord because of that may we also not take away 
Father, thank you for offering the perfect sacrifice in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Father, thank you for loving us so much that you were able to diagnose our need and yet provide the perfect cure. We love you. We praise you. We ask these things in our Lord and Savior's name, Jesus, and we ask it by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people say, amen.